Our sermon text this evening is Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. Romans 3, verses 21 through 26. Please stand. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our gracious God and our Father, we pray along with the psalmist that you would send forth the light of your grace and your truth and send it deep into our hearts and do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. We come, Father, as children seeking the good gifts of God. And your word tells us, our Savior instructed us, that even we as parents know how to give gifts to our children. When our children come to us asking for food, we do not give to them a stone or a snake. How much more will our Father in heaven not withhold from us the good things that his children need, including the Holy Spirit. So grant us your truth and your spirit this evening, Father, as we again search these familiar words and that we would do so for our spiritual improvement as we seek the glory of Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So there is a lot in this, in this passage, and because of that, we're going to be looking at it in, in two parts. And this evening, you could consider this as part one, as we consider Romans 3, 21 through 26, and the gift of justification, and then sometime in the future, Lord willing, probably next year, um, we'll look at it again, but through a different lens and call it the ground of, of justification. And they're searching out some of the more theological concepts here like propitiation. So you're off the hook this evening uh, for that particular word uh, because we want to emphasize a couple things about this passage and how it holds out Christ to us as a gift and how we are to receive that gift. You see that reflected in, in the outline on the back of your sheet. But doing this in two parts, in one sense, uh, reflects a very important insight by Martin Luther. That he looked at this particular passage in Scripture and he says, this is the chief point and the very central place of this epistle and of the whole Bible. Now, we kind of expect Luther to say those sorts of things, don't we? But he's probably not overstating how crucial this passage at least is 
for the book of Romans. So this is why we want to, to pay attention to it this evening as it speaks to us about grace and faith and faith in Christ. And you can notice that these are uh, some of the, the five slogans that we have from the Reformation. Sola gratia, sola fide, uh, solus Christus. So this evening is a chance to brush up on your Latin as well. As we look at this first point uh, underneath grace, it says now, and that word now is important here. The righteousness of God has been revealed. Manifested is the word that our translation uses. It's been revealed apart from the law. This is something that you would not find there, as it were, or that's not the way to get to this place. He says the law and the prophets, by that he means the Old Testament, testified to this saving righteousness of God. You could have seen this pictured in, in the blood of the Passover lamb. There's a, there's a hint of it in the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement, the bronze serpent that uh, Moses lifted up. You, you get these hints or you get it in the prophets and prophecies like Habakkuk, Habakkuk 2.4, the righteous shall live by his faith. And, and so he's saying this is sprinkled as it were throughout the law and the prophets suggested there, but it's not found there. And what Paul is saying is that the covenant of Moses has passed away and the righteousness of God can no longer be gained that way. That is not the path. And in fact, the plight of those under the covenant of Moses is that they were utterly helpless under sin's power and guilt. The law could not help you, as we'll see in future passages. And everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, that's the point he's been making in the first three chapters of this book, everyone deserves the wrath of God for their sin. This righteousness of God is, is revealed against sinners. That's his point in Romans 1 through 3. But now we come to chapter 3, 21. He says, now we have a righteousness of God that is for sinners that has been revealed. And so what we saw, especially last week in that really dark passage, is that righteousness of God that is against those who have sinned against God, those unworthy of his holiness, and his goodness, now we have something that God reveals that's for sinners. And what is revealed is this, very simply, that all can be justified by God's grace. In light of what he said in earlier verses, this is almost an incredible thing for Paul to say. That's why it was such a remarkable breakthrough for, for Luther when he read chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which has embedded it the same message to be justified before this holy, righteous God. It's an amazing thing to be in right relationship with God. Such a relationship with this holy God that he has nothing against you, that he cannot say a word against you, despite all of your sin, despite all of your unworthiness, he brings no charge against you. This is an amazing thing. But that's what it means to be justified. It means two things. It means to be forgiven, and it means to be accepted. To be forgiven all of our sin. It's no longer counted against us. Or to be accepted in the sight of God. How can we be made acceptable in the sight of God? To the righteousness of Christ, which is seen or counted as your own, or reckoned as yours. And so when he makes this statement, he highlights two things. That God justifies us graciously, and freely. Notice what he says, uh, leading out of verse 23, all, verse 24, are justified by his grace. Now, what is grace? 
A grace is receiving something you do not deserve. We call it unmerited favor. It'd be better to say demerited favor in light of the preceding verses of chapter 3. And it helps to make the case that you can't really talk about the gospel without talking about grace. Have you really, truly, faithfully introduced the gospel if you've not used this word and this concept of grace? It means you're not thinking about it correctly if you're not thinking in terms of grace. That's the good news of the gospel, is grace. That God would would condescend to undeserving sinners like ourselves, God of such unblemished purity, reaching down to those who are polluted by their sins like us. That's the glory of God's grace, is this abounding love that's poured out upon sinners like you and like me. Perhaps we could see that in picture form in uh, the book Les Miserables, the very beginning of, of the book. And there's this man, Jean Valjean, and he's a thief. And he comes along and he meets this priest who feeds him a nice meal, gives him a place to stay in the middle of the night. Jean Valjean gets up and goes and he finds the silver of this church and begins to put it in his sack and he goes out and leaves. The police catch him. They see all this silver in the knapsack of this man who's not dressed very nicely. And they bring him to the priest. And he said, this man claims that you gave this to him. And Jean Valjean stole it. And the priest says, it's true. I gave it to him. And I'm glad you came back because you forgot the candlesticks. <laughs> the police leave. And Jean Valjean said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me? He says, I'm giving you back to God. This is Kindness extended to a man who did not deserve it, who deserved to to go with the police, to be jailed for something so treacherous, a stealing from a church. But this is grace, and that's the point of this, that God gives this justification graciously. But he also gives it freely. Notice, secondly, he says, all are justified as a gift. This is the thing that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion in the world. It is entirely a gift. It's something that God gives And he gives it sovereignly, he gives it independently, he gives it freely. In other words, this is not something that's coaxed from God. And you see, every other religion on the planet is trying to bribe God, it's trying to coax him, it's trying to talk him into being nice. I have to do all these things, these good works, or bring these sacrifices, all this stuff. But God is not moved from anything outside of himself, ever, ever. And so just as there's no distinction with regard to sin, chapter 1, 18 to 320, there's no distinction with regard to God's gifts of salvation. No distinction. All are under sin. No distinction. All receive this by his grace. So the righteousness that we're speaking of here, the righteousness that Paul is speaking about that's central to the gospel, it's not something that you can achieve. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something you can produce within yourself or must, you can't work for it, it is, it's given. That's what makes a gift a gift, right? You didn't purchase it, you didn't make it, you don't deserve it, you didn't even ask for it. It's God who does this. He initiates it, he bestows it, and he declares it. And because you cannot earn what God gives, you can receive it only one way, and that's by faith. Because it's a gift, It has to be by faith. It must be received by faith. And so notice what he says about faith. 
That faith is the way that, that we receive, you could say we appropriate this, this righteousness that comes through faith. And there's two sides of this that I think are interesting and in how it comes out here and other places in the New Testament. And then it's, it's, it's first this, that this righteousness comes only to those who believe. That this is exclusive in this sense. The God's saving righteousness is exclusive. It's received only, only by faith. It's the only way. That God's saving power bears upon us, we could say, in the gospel through faith and by faith alone. That's what sola fide means, right? It means by faith alone, that faith is the lone instrument of salvation. That salvation is effected by the gospel alone. The gospel is effected by faith alone. And so the things that this book talks about, all this salvation, this power of God, this righteousness of God is from faith to faith, as we saw in chapter one, it's by faith from first to last. It's by faith from beginning to end. It's faith. And you see, that's what Paul is emphasizing here in this passage. And you could make an argument that he's emphasizing this more than anything else. It's the way. It's the way that we benefit from this salvation that comes to us from God. That you can't earn this righteousness. You can only accept it. For example, another place. Philippians 3.9, Philippians 3.9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Somebody has put it this way, justification refers to what God does in power and what man receives in faith. Or we could put it this way, because it's a matter of grace for God, it must be a matter of faith for us. And that's Paul's point in Romans 4.16. It depends upon faith. Why? In order that the promise may rest on grace. These two go together. Grace and faith. God's saving righteousness is received exclusively by faith. But there's another side to this. If you look in verse 22... He says, this righteousness of God through faith is in Jesus Christ is for all who believe. In other words, it's inclusive. This righteousness comes to all who believe. It's inclusive. It's for all those who look to Jesus Christ. So if somebody came up to you and said, who is the gospel for? You could put it this way. Only those, but all those who look to Christ in faith. Only those but all of those who receive and rest upon Christ alone. And so you notice how he does this in like verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Verse 25, this propitiation of blood to be received by faith. Verse 26, he is just and the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. And you look at a verse like verse 22 and you, you could say this is being redundant. We wouldn't do this in good English. Look what he says there. It's through faith. He says it's for all who believe. But it's good theology. And it's good repetition. Because he's making the point that this righteousness is available to anybody. To anybody who believes. It's the same emphasis of John 3.16. That everyone who believes, whoever believes... And you see, this is important because it balances what he has been saying in the last three chapters, that God shows no favoritism when it comes to judging sin. 
But now he's making the same point here, that God shows no favoritism when it comes to justifying sinners. That's the importance of this phrase, there is no distinction. There's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift. There's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile when it comes to sin, he said in chapters 1 through 3. And now he's saying in chapter 3, verses 21 following, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile because all who believe receive this righteousness of God. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. Isn't this wonderful that God gave us this message? That we can look at anybody on this planet and say, it doesn't matter what your race is, what your gender is, what your age is, what your social status is. Christ is for you. Believe in the gospel. That he has revealed this salvation to all. It's without prejudice. Without exception. As Paul puts it, without distinction. To think that this is what we offer to people when we offer Christ. Forgiveness, acceptance, peace, adoption, love. All these things that are ours by faith. And God gives them to everyone and anyone who believes. Even faith itself is a gift from God. It's important to point this out. It's not taught in this passage that we have in front of us, but it does in other places, like Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. The faith is not some sort of spiritual grace that you and I can cook up on our own, our own hearts, our own lives. No, this also is something of God, is something that the Holy Spirit works in us. In Acts 16, when Paul preached the gospel to Lydia, it shows her reaction when Scripture says that God opened her heart so that she would hear and that she would believe upon Jesus Christ. That this is a required gift. Faith is required, absolutely required. It's the only way to receive any and all the benefits of Christ. What does Hebrews 11 say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And yet it's, it's, a, it's a gift that God works in us. And it's all that we need. It's more than sufficient to save us. We don't need anything else. Just faith. Is that true? Let me put it this way as we conclude. What, is it faith that saves? It's a trick question. And because we're in church, you're not supposed to answer, right? Is it faith that saves? It's not faith that saves us. It's faith in Jesus Christ that saves us. Somebody reminded me at family camp a few years ago, faith has only one job. It has one job, and it's to lay hold of Christ. And you see, this is where some people, I think, misunderstand the Christian faith in terms of its inception in the human heart. That when we talk about Christianity, people think, well, it's time to get introspective. It's time to look within But let me introduce you to a new word that I think John Murray invented. Faith is extrospective. It looks outside of itself. We don't look within, we look away from ourselves. It's it's faith that finds its object in, in Jesus Christ. 
That's where salvation is found, faith in Jesus Christ. If you think about it, this is the point at the beginning of the Beatitudes. Who are those who are blessed? How does it begin? Those who are poor in spirit, who look within and, and what do they see? That's not what alarms them, it's what they do not see. They don't see spiritual wealth or riches and, and virtue, and therefore they mourn. And so that's why when you come to the Beatitude, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What sent them there? Well, they decided to go introspective, and they, it's what they saw and what they did not see, and it drove them out of themselves to find a righteousness that they saw that they could not produce, a righteousness that they did not see within. That's the importance of the idea that faith is extrospective because what it reminds us, it's not faith in our faith that saves us. It was an important theologian who was dying. And a friend found out that on his deathbed, he was beginning to struggle with his faith. He was doubting his own salvation. And this is a man who instructed so many people and instructed them well in the faith. And his friend came to him and he said, brother, when you're out in the country and you're going to cross a stream, what do you do when you come to the bridge? And he says, well, I look at the bridge. I see if it's, if it's strong enough, if it's well constructed. And then I, I tell myself that I can walk across that bridge. He says, you mean you don't look to yourself and see if you have confidence in your confidence in the bridge? He says, no, I look to the bridge. He says, brother, look to Christ. He will carry you over the River Jordan. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to faith or faith in your faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. The call of the gospel is to accept Christ. It's to rest in Christ. It's to uh, receive him. Notice what it says in verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Or verse 26, God is the justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. And so what is the goal of the preaching and the teaching of the church? It is to bring you to Christ and bring Christ to you. It's to show you Christ. It's to lead you to Christ. So that you do what? Well, it's obvious to consider Christ, to flee to him, to know Christ, to trust in Jesus Christ, and to know that there is no other but Christ. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair, there's a lion. Everybody knows who that is. It's Aslan, who represents Christ. And he says to Jill, who's standing there, he says, if you are thirsty, you may drink. Are you thirsty? And Jill said, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink, said the lion. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, asked Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Well, then I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh, dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream, then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other source of living water than Christ. No other spiritual bread. There is no other treasure than Christ, no other wisdom, no other hope, no other life, no other love than Christ. In Acts 4.12 it says, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. This is it. This is the only name in which you can find salvation. And so the point this evening is very simple. Cling to Christ. Look to Christ. 
Rest in Christ. Whoever you are, wherever you are, wherever you are in your Christian life, you may be facing sickness or loneliness or failure, difficulty, stress or heartache, even sin. All these things are testing your faith. And God is using these things to do what? To send you back to Christ. To put your confidence in him, to find refuge in Christ, to to be reminded again that your peace and your strength and your comfort, these are all found in Christ. James puts it this way in James 1, 2, consider it pure joy when you face trials because this testing of your faith is developing perseverance through these trials. What is God doing? He's shaking loose all those things that are standing between you and Christ, all those things that are hindering your sight of Christ. This is what Christ said to to Peter, Luke 22, Satan has requested to sift you like, like wheat. But I have prayed for your faith. For your faith. And so this evening, your faith may be weak or strong. And in many ways, it's attacked. But in the end, our faith gets the victory. And why is that the case? It's because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Who is it that overcomes the world? This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's our faith unites us to Christ. He is the forerunner and the finisher of our faith. And we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the simplicity of the gospel to be reminded again that it is a gracious gift that falls from heaven and is poured into the hearts of sinners like ourselves. And again, this evening we recognize that we have no other hope but Jesus Christ. We confess that freely, Father. It is our joy to say so. And we thank you this evening for reminding us again that let him who boasts, boast in the Lord And we do, we boast in the grace of God revealed in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, in whose name we pray, amen.